She's not here again, but we started our new series called Crossing the Jordan last week. And even if she's only going to hear it on iTunes, I think it's a good time to remind her that, Jordan, this talk is not about you. So, again, it's a series dedicated to the graduates because the Jordan River is approaching you. We defined the Jordan as the dividing line between the known and the unknown last week. For the graduates, this is clear, but for the rest of you, that you have many Jordan Rivers approaching. It can be one of your own making, even. Um, You don't know what the next year will hold, um, and that to you, it's your Jordan. So how can you prepare? And a major theme of today's lesson, it's your first fill in the blank, is how can your trip towards the unknown strengthen your faith in the one who knows all about it? How can your trip towards the unknown strengthen your faith in the one who knows all about it? Another theme that we hit on last week is the idea that we, this is your next fill in the blank, we walk towards the Jordan because that is where God is. We walk towards the Jordan because that is where God is. That was the theme covered last week. It is where he has directed us, and it is where he promises to meet us. And it is a reminder that he is with us. And today we're looking at another story where healing takes place along the Jordan. The unknown as we talked about last week, should not fill us with dread. Remember, take courage, the Lord is with you. But it should fill us with hope. Hope that your struggle with with hope that your struggle that you go through now that you'll overcome then. That God promises to fulfill the good work that He started in you. That if you are in Christ, we will know Him better next year and in the next decade. Because the Jordan brings healing. Because that is where God is, which is the idea of today's lesson. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings 5. That is where we will spend our time today. It's the story of Naaman. Um, I love this story. My kids love this story in our little um, books that we read. It comes right after one of my favorite titles in all of Scripture, which is Elisha Purifies the Deadly Stew. Great chapter. (laughs) Chapter. It's how many of your parents feel after you cook. Elijah purifies the deadly <laughs> stew. So as we move on to the next chapter, um, can I have someone read 5, 1 through 14? 5, 1 through 14. Second King, you said? Second Kings 5, 1 through 14. Who would like to read tonight? Awesome. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, thus and thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, Know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? 
that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana not and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near him, near and said unto him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? Hmm. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So leprosy is terrifying, um, at least for me when I think of it. WebMD defines it as such. Leprosy is an infectious disease that causes severe disfiguring skin sores and nerve damage in arms, legs, and skin areas around the body. The disease has been around since ancient times, often surrounded by terrifying negative stigmas and tales of leprosy patients being shunned as outcasts. Outbreaks of leprosy have affected and panicked people on every continent. The oldest civilizations of China and Egypt and India feared leprosy was an incurable, mutilating, mutilating and contagious disease. Now, I hate weird things on my skin. I, I hate it. Even scabs bother me. That scab I got last week in Yak Ball, like, it just bothered me all week. Like, just the feeling of that unevenness. So leprosy is no small cookie. And it isn't a small cookie for those who have it either. If left untreated, leprosy can kill you. It is fatal. But for those who received the diagnosis of leprosy, especially during this period, it might as well have been a gunshot wound to the head. At least that would have been quicker. Because to them, they were removed from their community at one point or another because of the fear of being contagious. So their status, everything they've earned up to this place in life, everything that they owned, everything they had was now left inside the city while they were cast outside. And their family and friends, the only time they might see them is if they leave them food and clothing on the side of the road from a distance so that um, they would not actually be able to interact with them because they feared they might get it too. Further, there is not just the medical diagnosis we have to deal with within the story. There is a story element that we have to deal with as well. Remember, the Bible is not a medical text. The Bible is not a medical text. The Bible is not a medical text. It's a historical text. It's a historical text with historical meanings attached to it like any historical text would have. And many biblical scholars view leprosy in relation to sin. Many biblical scholars view leprosy in relation to sin. Leprosy is a synonym for sin. To be a leper in scripture is to be a sinner. And even though Naaman is praised by the author for his good deeds and character at the beginning of the chapter, and this is your next fill-in-the-blank, 
His good character and his good deeds cannot save him from sin. His good character and his good deeds cannot save him from sin. I think we're a lot more like Naaman than we'd like to believe. Our good deeds and good character cannot save us either. Your parents don't send you to Yak hoping you become good little boys and girls. At least I hope not. Um, Because being good little boys and girls won't save you. Your relationship with Jesus is what will save you. Are you one of his? Naaman, think about this. Naaman is not. Naaman is a Syrian. He fights against Israel when they are at war. His relationship with the king of Israel is so poor that when he makes his request to the king for healing, the king thinks Naaman is plotting against him and is using this as a ruse to figure out the next battle. But the good news of the gospel is that healing is not just for the Jews. It is for those who humble themselves, and this is typically where God finds us at our lowest. God finds us at our lowest. Think about it. Naaman has been given a death sentence for life and the life to come. The man who commands hundreds of troops, he gets to choose the spoils of war, has the ear of the king, probably could have had any woman he wanted in the empire. He has money, he has fame, he has power. And he has an awful diagnosis. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. He is at his wit's end. And I think that's why he listens to the advice of the slave girl. This powerful man listens to the advice of one that is very lowly. Why else would someone so powerful listen to someone entrapped by the enemy? Someone who's been carried off into captivity and left to fend for herself. Because he has no one else to turn to except for the slave girl who opens her mouth. With that, my Lord, or with the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. This is interesting. It's your next fill in the blank. Hope is found in the prophet of God. Hope is found in the prophet of God. And ironically, on the other side of the Jordan. On the other side of the Jordan. So Naaman takes the girl's advice. Almost. He doesn't go to the prophet. He goes to the king of Israel. Notice several things here. First, there was a hope that his good character and deeds could save him. Now he loads up treasure and a good recommendation. So he thought good character and deeds might save him. Now he's loading up treasure and good recommendation. It's your next fill in the blank. All the treasure in the world and the best recommendation cannot save you from sin. All the treasure in the world and not the best recommendation cannot save you from sin. Notice the second point, too. He didn't go to the prophet. He went to the government. Which is your next fill in the blank. They're coming at you rapid fire tonight. The government isn't going to solve your problems, but the prophet will. The government is not going to solve your problems, but the prophet will. It's the same problem we addressed last week, right? Naaman might have been at the end of his rope. He might have been willing to listen to the girl from Israel, but only enough to point him in the right direction. He had to do things his way. He brings his good name, good money, and good recommendation before the good king who cannot save him. 
We are so like Naaman in that we rely on everything but the prophet of God to save us. Everything but the prophet of God. Why? This is your next fill in the blank. Because we want some control of the situation. We want some control of the situation. Especially when we feel we are in as dire straits as Naaman. And you will see this happen in life, probably your own, where you, you're at the end of your rope, it's been rough, and you just want to take some control of the situation, so you take advice, but you do it your way. People do this all the time, especially those that are panicked, because they want some control of the situation. I'll fast for a few days, then God will love me. I'll read my Bible more. And God, you'll bless my college years. If I pray a little bit longer, you'll bring me my happily ever after. If I do something good for you, God, you need to do something good for me. It's a give and take. This is your next fill in the blank. The gospel is not a give and take. It's full on surrender. The gospel is not your give and take. It's full on surrender. And for Naaman, he would not surrender to the instructions of a slave girl. Not until he had tried it his way. By the grace of God, Elisha the prophet gets word of Naaman's plea and tells him to come on over. Naaman, I am sure, is exhausted at this point. It's a long trip. He's brought a lot of things. The king of Israel has told him he doesn't trust him. Now he is outside the door of a prophet. It's probably not a Frisco McMansion. It's probably some small little hut. He's just happy it's got a door on it. We know that from the text. At least it's got that going on. And this is where the humor comes in. This is the funny part in the whole story. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elijah sent out a messenger. He doesn't even go to see the prophet. The prophet doesn't even come out to him. He sends the messenger boy. Talk about a slap in the face. Look, I know you traveled some distance. I knew you went through a ringer with the king. I can't stand them either, right? But I'm too tired to get up. Listen to my messenger boy. And that's what Naaman, that puts Naaman at such like a nasty disposition as he hears the news um, or the good news that the messenger says, go and wash, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. It's a simple message. It's a simple request, a simple answer to his problems, but he does not accept it. Does that sound familiar to a simple gospel? Let's complete the verse from earlier. It was driving Todd crazy. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's your next fill in the blank. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible points us to the great prophet Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king. But we have a habit of neglecting the gift, thinking it too good to be true because it doesn't meet our standards. We want something more flashy. Look at how Naaman responds. It is quite funny. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, which is always funny to me. I can't imagine someone walking away angry and saying, behold, I just can't behold. I thought that he would surely come out to me and say and stand and call upon the name of his God and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abina and Fafer and rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? So now he's mocking. Like the, I mean, he's really mad here. Could I not wash in them and be clean? Think about this. Naaman had expectations as he went before the prophet. One, this was his first expectation. The prophet would see him. Um, not just he see the prophet. 
the prophet would see him, not just who he see the prophet. Two, that a great demonstration of power would be involved. Wave his hand all over the place. Three, that he would be cured instantly. Those are his expectations that he's bringing to the table. And many times, think about it, many times those are the exact same expectations we have with Christ. That you wish you could see Jesus. Not that just he could see you. Two, that there would be some crazy light from heaven or a clear demonstration of his power. If God would just show me X in this particular way, I might believe. Or three, that sin would no longer follow you. That the leprosy would be cleared. And this is your next fill in the blank. What expectations do you carry in regards to your own sanctification? What expectations do you carry in regards to your own sanctification? But this is a good thing. Even after all the bah humbug, he does it. He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, and according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. He followed the word of the prophet and received the gift of being clean. Likewise, we too, when we follow the call of Jesus, are made clean by the washing of the word. Naaman was baptized and made clean. Likewise, our sacrament draws us into a similar covenant. But the story, think about this. The story is not really about Naaman. The story is not about Naaman. The textual clues point us back to the phrase little child. There's an inclusio when she's first mentioned at the beginning of the story within the text. Most of you are not Naaman. Most of you claim faith. Most of you are covenant children brought up in the way of the Lord. And I'll end tonight by taking a look at the slave girl that we mentioned earlier in the story. The little child. This is her backstory. Her circumstance was not what she had chosen. She's had a rough life up until this point. She'd been taken from her parents. Potentially her parents killed in front of her. She'd been taken from her home. And even worse, Israel had not sent anyone to bring her back. Yet, she had forgiven her captors enough to offer them a chance of forgiveness, a chance to be clean. Who are the people that make your life miserable? And would you offer them hope? Who are the people that have wronged you in the past? Would you offer them a future? Who are the people you feel hold you captive? Would you set them free? Sometime it takes, sometimes it takes the faith of a child. Someone important once said that. I mentioned when we crossed the Jordan last week that we don't cross it alone, that God is with us. And I'll mention this week, and this is your next fill in the blank. When we cross the Jordan, it is not just God who is with us, but whoever we take with us to. 
when we cross the Jordan, it is not just God who is with us, but whoever we take with us to. That's your next on the blank, the coming rapid fire. We point towards the Jordan because that is where God is. So it's a little bit of change from the beginning. We point towards the Jordan because that is where God is. So instead of last week being we walk towards the Jordan where that is God is, this week we point towards the Jordan because that is where God is. I pray we love like the small Israelite slave girl this week and that those caught in the disease of sin will find their healing. That's what we can bring as we cross the Jordan.